It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Today marks the 79th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. December 7th, 1941, a date which we were instructed by the president of that day will live in infamy. He uh, was then and continues today to be 100% correct, uh, and it is important that we look back and remember that day, uh, not only to remember the lives that were lost, the 2,000-plus lives uh, of American servicemen and women who put on the uniform willing to fight and die in defense of the freedoms of this nation, but also, too, so that we may be uh, able to safeguard ourselves against the surprise attacks of this day, uh, which was the case back in 1941. An unexpected and surprise attack uh, led to and set off, uh, or set in motion, rather, uh, activity in global conflict uh, on a scale before which we had never seen here in the United States. There are countless lessons to be learned uh, from this day 79 years ago and all of the history that followed. Uh, I was back and forth with uh, Boyd Matheson earlier this morning as he and I were both uh, getting ready to host our respective radio programs, and he joins me now to continue that conversation. He pointed something out, which if you were listening to his program earlier, uh, you've heard this, and I wanted him to make sure that my audience was able to hear exactly the same points that he made earlier. So Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources, also the opinion editor of the Deseret News, joins me now. Boyd, sir, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Happy uh, Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah. And and it and it is a happy thing. Uh, it was a tragic thing. It was a horrible thing. Um, but it 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 did change the course of history in many ways, uh, and it put the United States of America in the middle of the middle uh, of the fight for freedom, uh, and proved to the world that the United States of America was not about conquest and occupying and all of that. Uh, you look at Japan and Germany today. Sure. That's a testament that uh, this was about freedom. Yeah. You, you uh, as you and I were having this conversation earlier this morning, uh, you pointed something out to me that I will admit I, I had paid little attention to in the past. We all know, and we'll play it uh, here on these airwaves in a little bit, we know the speech which was delivered by the president, uh, by President Roosevelt on February 8th. Uh, before a joint session of Congress, uh, an address lasted about five, six minutes, uh, which he drafted, uh, you know, obviously in very short order. Speeches of that nature were often uh, prepared for months and months. Uh, this one, he had his own hand in drafting the various yeah. drafts, which he then delivered. But you uh, reminded me of another speech delivered uh, not on the 8th, but on the very day that we were attacked. Tell me about that. Please. Yeah. So it was uh, to me, I think it's the actu- actually the most important uh, speech about Pearl Harbor. And it was the first speech to the to the nation. The first person to speak to the nation was not the president of the United States. It was the first lady. It was Eleanor Roosevelt. Amazing. And uh, her speech, which she crafted with her own hand as well. She had a, a weekly radio program, which is a good thing she's not around still, Lee, or both you and I would be you know, know. in trouble. Uh, but she delivered a speech for the ages. Uh, she talked about what had happened 
And then and then she was she had all these incredible moments. She was so vulnerable. She talked about she had sons at sea that were probably heading to the Pacific Theater. She had children who lived on the West Coast. So she she spoke to that. Uh, and then she called on the people of the nation to come together and that we're ready for this. We are the United States of America, she kept saying. Uh, but but I love this. She talked to the mothers. She talked to the men and women who were in the armed forces. She talked to the children. And she said, look, we got to come together. Uh, to the young people, you're going to have to do some hard things. But guess what? You're ready. Mm-hmm. Because you live in the United States of America, and you will respond, and you will rise up, and we will overcome this. It, it is a fantastic speech. If if you haven't listened to it, everybody should take It's not long. It's only about three and a half minutes long the, in its entirety, and it is powerful. And uh, she delivered it before she went on to her regular yeah. – uh, the rest of her program was just as scripted, but uh, but she delivered that speech, and it is profound. And you don't have to tweak a whole lot of it. And it applies to exactly what we're dealing with today. To that point, I, I want to play that portion that you made reference to. Again, the, the, the full speech yeah. on this topic, just about three and a half minutes long. There is a 60-second portion in the middle where she uh, she starts her remarks, directing them to, uh, towards women. And yeah. she, as you mentioned, talks about her own children being uh, you know, in harm's way yeah. on a destroyer and in the Pacific. And she talks uh, about the challenges that we're facing. And as you mentioned here, and as also you can find uh, mentioned in a Deseret News editorial board, piece, which I'm sure you had a hand in there, sir, uh, <laughs> looks at the parallels that can be drawn between this uh, advice given on this day and how it can be applied to what we're facing here today. So here uh, from 79 years ago, Eleanor Roosevelt. I should like to say just a word to the women in the country tonight. I have a boy at sea on a destroyer. For all I know, he may be on his way to the Pacific. Two of my children are in coast cities on the Pacific. Many of you all over this country have boys in the services who will now be called upon to go into action. You have friends and families in what has suddenly become a danger zone. You cannot escape anxiety. You cannot escape a clutch of fear at your heart. And yet I hope that the certainty of what we have to meet will make you rise above these fears. We must go about our daily business more determined than ever to do the ordinary things as well as we can. And when we find a way to do anything more in our communities to help others, to build morale, to give a feeling of security, we must do it. Boyd, what struck me... What struck me so as as I listened to these words, which I have to thank you for bringing to my attention. I wouldn't have listened to them otherwise if you hadn't said, you know, there was another speech delivered about 24 hours uh, yeah. before the president took to the floor of the House of Representatives delivered by his wife. She she talks about uh, our duty to adhere to the mundane. We need to make sure that what we are doing uh, before this attack remains, uh, you know, in our in our ability today. We need to make sure that we continue living life as it was lived before yeah. uh, we were introduced to this new uh, anxiety fueled uh, reality. Yeah, that is absolutely true today, isn't it? Though we must do exactly what we did before coronavirus showed up, so that we might, once emerging on the other end, remember. Remember how to do it, yeah. and we keep the ship afloat, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. Keeping that normalcy and that consistency going. And, and I love how she said, anything that we can do for a neighbor, we must do. Uh, that That's a pretty good order uh, for all of us, especially in the midst of a pandemic. Whatever we can do for a neighbor, we ought, we ought to be doing that today. Yeah. I, one of the 
things that has encouraged me throughout this uh, pandemic is that there is a lot of that going on. There is. There is a great deal, and there is creativity uh, that is being demonstrated. The same type of creativity that helped fuel the effort, uh, you know, as the United States entered the war 79 years ago, that same spirit of creativity I can see. And listen, I'm a young man. I wasn't around 79 years ago. Uh, I'm not going to say you were, but I'll (laughs) let Thanks, Lee. <laughs> but there are some wonderful archives. There are wonderful first and second hand accounts yeah. that we can get of those days. And uh, those accounts are, are ringing familiar as I look around and see America's response to the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, on the, in the community. Uh, level, yeah. Uh, listen, so many, so many great people, and so many great examples out there. Uh, you could fill the whole show with just what people are doing. That is no different than the Greatest Generation. We're setting our own personal interests aside, our own futures aside, and we're making a difference for somebody else. That's that's the essence of this country. Yeah, hundred percent. Boyd Matheson, thank you so much. Uh, Boyd Matheson, host of Inside Sources, also the opinion editor of the Deseret News. There's a, a beautiful piece which follows uh, this conversation and the one uh, had between you and Mr. Matheson earlier on the radio in the Deseret News right now. Looks at exactly this speech delivered uh, by the First Lady in 1941. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, I'm going to welcome to the program a good friend of mine, uh, Clark Apotion. Typically, he and I are speaking together uh, about Second Amendment issues and guns and uh, our shared hobby. Uh, But today, uh, we're going to set that all aside and we're going to hear about a story he learned uh, when he was a young man. His father was in Hawaii on December 7th, 1941. What did he learn and how has that legacy endured in the Apotion family? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Today is December 7th. December 7th, 1941, as described by President Roosevelt, uh, a date that will live in infamy. Well, uh, that is exactly correct. And we, each year on this day, we remember that surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. And more than that, we remember what came next. It was just 24 hours later that the United States of America declared war on Japan. That came after a plea from President Roosevelt on the floor of the House of Representatives. He addressed a joint session of Congress where we were first uh, introduced to that now famous line, uh, reminding us that today is a date uh, which lives in infamy. I uh, have to admit, this morning I was uh, getting ready for the program, and I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I saw, uh, you, you know, n- numerous, numerous remembrances of uh, Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, different individuals paying their respects to the veterans who served there and have served since. And one uh, caught my eye in particular. I saw uh, first off two uh, black and white photos. I saw a photo of a USS ship uh, with some smoke. Uh, coming up through a stack, and then I saw a pair of two young sailors standing side by side on the deck of a ship with the sea behind them. And as I saw those pictures, I thought, well, there's got to be a story here connected. And so I started reading, and I quickly came to realize that uh, what I was reading was the story of a friend of mine's father, uh, that friend of mine, Clark Apotion. 
you, you've heard Clark Apotion on these airwaves countless times before. He, the chairman of the Utah Shooting Sports Council, a big defender of the Second Amendment, a big firearms guy here in the state of Utah. And anytime uh, I have a question about firearms, uh, it's Clark Apotion's door on which I knock. And yet today, uh, we're stepping aside from firearms, but I do welcome Clark Apotion to the program to learn a little bit about this story in his family and the experience of his father those 79 years ago. Clark, sir, how are you? I am well. Thanks for having me on, especially to talk about my dad. T- tell us about your dad. What kind of man was he? So dad was uh, dad was a Navy man. He had the big uh, anchor tattoo on his forearm. And, uh, you know, he was a, he's, a, he's a lot taller than me. He was a six-foot-two, dark-haired Armenian. And uh, the family, uh, you know, my ancestors came over from Armenia and to escape the uh, the Ottoman Empire, the genocide, the Armenian genocide that was happening in that country uh, at the time. And uh, dad, uh, at 17 years old, kind of lied about his age, got uh, my grandmother to agree with him, and uh, he joined the Navy in 1938. And uh, so that, uh, you know, and he was back and forth from San Francisco, where we grew up, San Francisco and all over the Pacific into and one of the ports was Pearl Harbor. On a little ship he was on, it was a tin can. It was, uh, you know, called the tin can. It was a destroyer, which uh, not not a big ship, not a lot of armament, but uh, you know, in, in those days they were just basically hauling, you know, it was a bit like a, a, a store ship, you know, hauling equipment and that kind of stuff back and forth because it wasn't wartime. Anyway, that uh, Sunday, December seventh, found my dad um, early in the morning waking with the rest of his crewmates, uh, already awake, performing their regular duties, when uh, the surprise attack happened. Now, they weren't in, they weren't on Battleship Row. They were uh, across the way from it. So they weren't a directly targeted ship because the Japanese were targeting the big battleships and and carriers and that. But uh, they did get hit with ancillary fire, so they immediately went into what they do best. They had to return fire. They had uh, two small anti-aircraft guns and some fifty caliber uh, guns on the on the deck, but all the armor, all the ammunition for these, because they weren't in wartime, were locked up in the armory. And the armory was protected by a big, very big steel bulkhead door. The two people that had the keys to that armory were on shore, enjoying shortly, but they weren't supposed to both be on shore at the same time. Anyway, they were. And, uh, you know, to make sure they weren't hit, so they you had to go down a few steps to get to the door of the armory. And uh, you know they had to try to pry that door open. They did get it eventually open, and uh, were able to dole out the ammunition and, and you know and and return some return some fire to the incoming planes and that type of thing. But Dad went on uh, to achieve the rank of chief petty officer, and I don't know what his rank was at the time. I, I'm going to have to ask my mom. Dad died about 40 years ago, and uh, but he achieved the rank of chief petty officer. As he, you know, continued to travel through the Pacific, through the Truck Islands, the Marshall Islands, uh, the Philippines, and that uh, for the rest of the war. And then after the war ended, uh, he uh, and his enlistment was up after that. Uh, he left the Navy. We're speaking with Clark Apotion, whose father was in Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Clark, you tell that story uh, first off, I, I can hear pride in your voice, and you also tell it in a way uh, that makes it very clear to me that this is not the first time you've shared this story. Uh, you, you're, you're proud of this story and what your dad was able to accomplish and the lessons that he left behind with you. You know, and, and it's not so much that story. It was just that 
my dad, like so many others, that's why we remember Pearl Harbor and, and all the many people in every branch of the service that were put in harm's way but didn't shirk it, that either signed up ahead of time or signed up, so many of them signed up, men and women signed up right when they heard of the attack and put themselves literally in harm's way uh, to defend this nation. And dad was an extremely patriotic man. Um, And when it, you know, I mean, whether it be 4th of July or whether it be, uh, you know, Fleet Week that would come in where I grew up in the Bay Area, or if it was Pearl Harbor Day, we would go to those remembrances, whether it be in Oakland, whether it be Mare Island or into the San Francisco Bay. And we'd, we'd get dressed up. Dad would be in his uniform and uh, we'd be in our best clothes. And, um, you know, a, a good smack on the back of the head, um, you know, that I encountered if I wasn't paying attention when the flag came by mm. and, uh, you know, to, to put my hand over my heart. Um, and honor that and honor the, the United States. What do you think he would say about the state of American patriotism today? Um, to the patriots, um, he would salute them. And uh, because he knows he's been there, um, I, I think he would uh, he'd be disappointed in some in some cases. But. You know, that, that's a good question, Lee, and it deserves a better answer than, than I've given you. But, uh, you know, what what does any patriot think of what's yeah. going on today? Um, I'm sure that they have uh, some things they're very proud for and some things that they're disappointed in the way yeah. um, uh, uh, others react to the to the to, to the idea of the United States of America, to that yeah. to that entire concept yeah. and how different it is than other countries. Clark, I am so grateful to you for, first off, our friendship and uh, today for sharing this story uh, from the experiences of your own father. Uh, I am grateful to you uh, and I am grateful to him uh, more than that even for his service and the example and the the fight he put up on that day and many days to follow. Clark Apotion, thanks again. Thank you, Lee. All righty. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, I want to share with you, uh, you heard mention earlier of the speech delivered from the floor of the House of Representatives by the, the president, President Roosevelt, the day after the attacks on Pearl Harbor. I want to share a portion of that speech with you and then talk to you about the importance of remembering this day. It is very easy, especially something that happened 79 years ago, very easy uh, to look at our own experiences in our own lives and let that be at the forefront when I will make an argument as to why we really do need to remember, remember always the challenges we faced as an American uh, civilization in the past and how that realization and those remembrances can better safeguard us to protect ourselves and our ideals and our liberties in the future. That's all ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. We're right now, and for the remainder of this hour, discussing the events of December 7th, 1941, and the aftermath, and why I believe that it is important to remember the details and the lessons of that day and the days that followed. Why? Well, we may not be living in a world where surprise military attacks of that magnitude uh, are a clear and present threat to our great nation, but... In responding to the unexpected, there is great lessons to be learned. And there are also heroic acts uh, and lives lost that all must be remembered. 
79 years is a long time ago. It is the 79th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, and things that happened 79 years ago are often forgotten. There are generations who have come since that uh, may not understand and feel the the full magnitude of what took place those 79 years ago. I fear that this year, I fear that the students who are uh, you know having a, a challenging time navigating their educational lives and their educational responsibilities, specifically in the sphere of American history, uh, due to the coronavirus, uh, may not, may not, after this school year is done, have come away with the, uh, the adequate understanding of this day. And so uh, I am going to invite you, listener, today to, to go back and spend some time uh, learning about if you are unaware of many of the details, or simply uh, looking back as a reminder to the events of that day, the surprise attack uh, on Pearl Harbor. It was just before 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning, again, December 7th, 1941, when a surprise military attack by the Imperial Japanese Navy Air Service uh, fell upon the naval base at Pearl Harbor in Honolulu, then the territory of of Hawaii. It was a, a terrible thing. It was a terrible thing which took the lives of 2,403 Americans and wounded another 1,178. We lost much in the way of life and asset and will forever remember them those 2,403 Americans, through a memorial and through carrying a torch, uh, which illuminates the lessons learned of that day. You heard earlier a conversation I had with Boyd Matheson. He made a very important point uh, on his program earlier today and reiterated it on my show here that there was uh, a speech given on the 7th of December, the very day uh, that Pearl Harbor was attacked. Now, the speech which endures, the speech which is clear and present in the memories of all of us, either uh, through firsthand experience, uh, if you are you know, of an advanced age and were around in those days, or has made its way through popular culture and the history book. And that was the speech delivered by President Roosevelt on the floor of the House of Representatives on the 8th of December. Let's start with what the First Lady, Eleanor Roosevelt, had to say. Here, in part, uh, is the lesson and the words that she shared with those listening to her weekly radio program, The Day of the Attack on Pearl Harbor. I should like to say just a word to the women in the country tonight. I have a boy at sea on a destroyer. For all I know, he may be on his way to the Pacific. Two of my children are in coast cities on the Pacific. Many of you all over this country have boys in the services who will now be called upon to go into action. You have friends and families in what has suddenly become a danger zone. You cannot escape anxiety. You cannot escape a clutch of fear at your heart. And yet I hope that the certainty of what we have to meet will make you rise above these fears. We must go about our daily business more determined than ever to do the ordinary things as well as we can. And when we find a way to do anything more in our communities to help others, 
to build morale, to give a feeling of security, we must do it. It is inappropriate, I believe, to compare the attack on Pearl Harbor and America's entry into World War II with the coronavirus. And I won't, I won't do that. Uh, just like I you know, have not and uh, never will compare the coronavirus to the attacks of September 11th. Uh, They are all on their own uh, unique and devastating events which have shaken us uh, pretty mightily. What I will do, though, is point out certain lessons learned here and there and apply them to today. And I believe that contained within that brief excerpt of the speech delivered via the radio by Eleanor Roosevelt on the day of the Pearl Harbor attack applies mightily to today. One of the ways we will endure this with our, with our sanity and with success is to go about doing the things uh, we would do otherwise, doing the mundane things, living life. And when opportunity presents us, presents itself to us, find a way to lend a hand and be charitable in our community. That is how success was secured here on the home front uh, during World War II in the aftermath of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And it was a whole other caliber of bravery and uh, determination possessed by those fighting abroad that secured our ability to continue living our mundane lives and being charitable when the opportunity presented itself. The way to hold fast to these realities and to the lessons learned before most of us were even born is to constantly remind ourselves that they happened. Become familiar with the details. Look for those with a better understanding than us. If there's someone in your family or in your community who maybe is of such an advanced age uh, that they were still around either in Hawaii on that day or maybe at home living life hearing news reports and feeling directly the impact of what life was like in the aftermath of that attack, talk to them. Talk to them. Their experience is valuable. And if you, in your family's history, don't have those accounts documented, document them. Bring a tape recorder or use the voice memo app on your iPhone or whatever it is at your disposal to record as best you can those experiences. Because everything that happened yesterday is applicable to how we go about living our lives tomorrow. History is our best teacher. I feel that way very strongly. You know that I bore you time and time again going back and listening to uh, old speeches and reading you old newspapers. I do so not because I'm just trying to fill airtime, though there is a certain measure of that. I do so because I believe that the lessons contained in that history is what will propel us forward and ensure our success in the future. There are lessons learned in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor that will set us up for success as we battle the coronavirus. I believe that wholeheartedly, and I am sure that I will find other experiences in my life to apply the lessons learned uh, by those who came before me. Quick break, back with more on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. This is KSL. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.